I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Radio Motherboard. Uh, I'm Jason Kebler. I'm joined here with Eric Franco, our staff researcher. Hello everybody. Chris O'Coin. Hey. And our managing editor, Adrian Jeffries. Hi, I have a cold. Adrian has a cold, but she still speaks English, so you'll be able to understand her. Um, today Hopefully. we are talking about the Silk Road trial and what it might mean, um, what's going on, the implications of it, and kind of some of the facts of the case, basically. Um, Motherboard's been covering everything that's been happening. We have a reporter at the courthouse in Manhattan named Carrie Paul. Uh, you should be following her stories if you're not Fantastic already. Fantastic tweets also. Yes, excellent Live tweets. updates yeah. on Twitter. So uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Silk Road was the online darknet market uh, that was busted by the FBI last 2013, actually. Um, a man named Ross Ulbricht was uh, charged with being the kingpin of this um, in San Francisco. And Ulbricht is now on trial for money laundering, um, trying to so hire a hitman. Seven, seven counts. On, I think he's not on trial for the hitman yet. Yeah. The, they didn't end up doing that charge in New York. I think it might still be pending in Maryland. But he's, I don't think he's being charged on that. Yeah. Although they're going to mention it. Yeah. Correct. That, that's a good distinction to draw. But what he is being charged with is seven counts, including distribution of narcotics by means of the Internet, conspiracy to commit an aid and abet computer hacking, and money laundering conspiracy. Right. Lots of things that can put him away for a very long time. Do you guys want to take bets on how long he will go away for? If he goes away, if he, he goes may away, get off. he's gonna go away. Twenty-five plus. I was gonna say thirty. Yeah, definitely. These yeah. these he's seem really highly conservative. I, conservative. I it's, he's life. It's life. I mean, if, twenty-five he's to an life. Eagle I mean, Scout. Yeah, he is an Eagle Scout. I don't think he's going away for life. Uh, thirty sounds about right. They're gonna yeah. make an example out of him. I mean, that's the point, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he ran the site for quite a while. Allegedly. All of this is allegedly. And all of this is allegedly. He ran the site allegedly for quite a while, and then he gave this interview to Andy Greenberg, who was at Forbes at the time. And uh, I think all of that kind of pissed law enforcement off because he was just like flagrantly running this site where you could buy whatever you, Coke and drugs you wanted. Yeah, that reminds me. Coke like, for and the, it was drugs. so easy. Coke and drugs. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the layman, uh, we didn't go over yet exactly what the Silk Road is, uh, and I suppose I could try and explain it as a person well, who knows the least about it. 
Um, Jason talked about it a little. Yeah. What's your definition? Well, it's an online marketplace where you can buy drugs, uh, you can buy weapons. At one point. No weapons on Silk Road. Silk Road had some rules, yeah. yeah. But it had public and private listings. So who knows what was on the private listing? Was Silk Road the one? Now, see, I'm getting, this is why it might be good to ask. (laughs) I'm confused. Was Silk Road the one where you could uh, hire assassins, or is that just the dark web in general? So Silk Road was purely a marketplace for. For drugs. It was purely a marketplace, and drugs was by far the largest category of the public listings. You could put up a listing for an item, and then the only way that someone could find that listing would be if you sent them a direct link. Ah. So uh, we can't, like, really make assumptions about the site as a whole. I don't even know what percentage of listings were private versus public. I don't think anybody has figured that out yet. Right. It's very similar to eBay. It looks just like eBay. You, like, click, you know, Buy one one heroin, please, and then send <laughs> some Bitcoin. Did anybody here ever use Silk Road? Uh, I browsed it. My friend used Silk Road. Uh, I browsed it, but I yeah. never bought anything. My friend I tried used to, get to buy stuff on Silk Road, and he loved the experience. And when it was shut down, he was very sad because it was then difficult to buy drugs. Was he sad da- also dangerous. because he might be arrested? I don't think he was worried about that. But Could you only good. use Bitcoin on you Silk Road? You could only use Bitcoin, yeah. yeah. My question is for the people... like. There's a culture, like, in New York, like, there's so many, like, drug delivery services, and I know a lot of people have always said, like, oh, I don't want to use that because then my name and my number is on a list. And so, like, to use Silk Road, like, there's an entire transaction history of customers. Like, didn't anyone ever think that that might be an issue? Well, you use Tor to connect to it. So your location is supposedly obscured. Right. And then you use Bitcoin to make the transaction, and you could be... You could be more or less careful about this. Like you could have the biggest problem was having the stuff shipped to you. I was gonna say, you have to go yeah. pick it up. Yeah. So like, if some people who were more reckless would just put their own address. Or you get a PO other people, box. Yeah, a PO box or something. But a PO box will always be traced back to you, right? right. It's not yeah. like an anonymous. Well, so. you can also set up PO boxes with prepaid credit cards and like fake IDs, which you can buy on Silk Road. Oh, okay. I mean, it it all depends. Basically. In exchange for not having to deal with a shady guy on the corner, prices on Silk Road were generally higher than you'd pay on the street. And to be a seller on the Silk Road, there were specific instructions on how to package your right. product. My friend who bought as acid look on as there innocuous as possible. Sorry, used to get a book sent, to, like the sellers would send him a book, and then they'd put the stamp. Like I guess the acid would be on stamps or something, and it would be in the middle of the book, like a bookmark, basically, and. I don't know. Seems so then the buyer had his address? Or the, the, uh, the seller had the... Wait, so everybody had each other's address in that case. Not the, sending, you don't have the seller. You're sending your dealer a book. No, and no, the dealer the is book. like eating the cost of a book. Oh, okay. He's like purchasing a paperback You can get them for a dollar book. at yeah, the right. Strand. Right. So right. that's probably smart. Right. Are so, you saying that the Strand aided in abetting in the <laughs> dealing of acid? I'm saying that's probably Definitely what those dollar books allegedly. are for. So uh, this is all somewhat not... The Silk Road kind of exists still. I mean, there's other darknet markets that have, like, filled its place. Um, Silk Road Reloaded just launched on I2P, which is some kind of Tor analog that I don't really understand. Right. I don't either. We have I don't think it has a lot of listings. Yes. I think all the listings there are just examples, like, trying, trying to get people to start using it. Right. Silk Road, definitely the best known of all of them. And... Um, 
This case is definitely important for Ross Ulbricht. He could go away for probably a very long time, uh, 25 years, according to Adrian's wildly I said 30. speculative bet. Oh, sorry. 25 is me, he but I, I'm, I'm calling 25 to life. The max is life, so he could go away for He could go to life, in yes. the wake of, of In the wake of like the, the biggest like, cyber crime ever, or whatever, the Sony hack, and this is a federal case, yeah, Mm-hmm. The prosecutor is going to want to send him away, like to 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 show that the government takes a like a militant hard stance on cybercrime. Right. This was a That's massive investigation that went on for a while a as well, over a year, um, and they were very careful to pin. Uh, this is all according to the FBI. They basically watched him operate the site from his laptop. Um, they had an undercover agent who posed as a person named Cirrus on the site, who was like an employee of Ulbricht's, and he was getting paid in Bitcoin. And they, he, was, they, he was essentially working the help desk of Silk Road, right. essentially. Right. And that was an FBI uh, guy? Yep. It, was it was a Homeland special Security agent yeah, from the Department yeah. of Homeland Security. Um, and I spoke to a former FBI agent about the case, and he basically told me that it was a dream, dream case for the FBI. Like, they have reams of evidence. They caught him at the computer and that sort of thing. So, I mean, obviously there's any number of either technicalities or arguments or government misconduct that the defense can argue. I was going to say, is the, is the FBI agent being essentially the second in command and like the sort of gatekeeper of the Silk Road's entrapment in some capacity? Um, so we were talking before the podcast started about this Daily Beast article that was arguing that the Silk Road trial is the most important case in America right now, which I think is hyperbole. One of the issues they mention is that there's, there, you can argue that there was some element of entrapment because the investigation went on for so long and they had this mole who was an admin who was like aiding and abetting in the operation. Right, but I mean, but that, I don't that think sort of that's not what the defense the is arguing, though. The defense yeah. is arguing that he, that this guy Ross Ulbricht started the site, and then abandoned it. I think two months later, because he was overwhelmed, that he started it as a quote economic experiment, and that somebody else was the real Dread Pirate Roberts. Intrigue, which which interestingly, Mystery. the plot thickens. Right, <laughs> and this was this was a huge moment in the trial, and I think this is probably a good time to throw over to uh, Carrie Paul, who is covering it for us. Uh, she told us a little bit about this like movie scene when the defense was like, "We know who the real Dread Pirate Roberts is." So, um, this is Carrie Paul. It was a really crazy moment in the case. Um, I think. Definitely nobody was expecting Carpellis to be implicated. Um, actually, yesterday, the judge was saying, well, you knew that they were going to try to pursue another suspect to exculpate their suspect, Ulbricht, so they're trying to prove somebody else was doing it, not him. So she was saying to the prosecutors, how could you have been surprised by this? You knew that he was going to pursue this line of questioning. And the, and the prosecutor said, never in a million years would I think that she would have implicated Mark Carpellis. Like, that completely blew us away or something. The moment where, I guess, like the defense started um, blaming Carpellis and all that stuff went down. I feel like they were more confident. His parents were like clapping during that part almost. Like, um, it was really mm-hmm. ridiculous because the prosecution was objecting and they were yelling at the judge basically, like, they can't do that. And, her, and mm-hmm. the judge said, like, they're trying to raise reasonable doubt. How else would they do that? And the parents started like laughing and clapping. It was like a 
theater of sorts. It's important for Ulbricht, but I don't, I think it is hyperbole that this is the most important case. Right. Um, you know, the, the government is kind of arguing that you can't run a massive criminal enterprise and perhaps you can't, like, hire someone to kill someone else. Right. Um, there's certainly, certainly, like, some surveillance questions and some Fifth and Fourth Amendment questions as well, but uh, I don't know that there's going to be too many precedent-setting things happening here. Right. I think this case is just, is like a pretty standard drug case. It's not really, like, the nature of the crime didn't really change because there was a website involved, except that it enabled this guy, or whoever was the real Dread Pirate Roberts, to run, uh, like, a pretty large operation without having, employing, like, an army right. of What charges people. is he facing right now? Well, He's Eric seven Harry, charges yeah. that Eric read at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> uh, All the money laundering. Money laundering. Um, conspiracy to money launder. That's another charge, right? Yeah, it's a conspiracy to commit and aid and abet computer hacking, money laundering, and distribution of narcotics by means of the internet. Right. Trafficking. And, and I mean, the, the main defense at the moment, which could change between the time we're recording this and Friday, but I, I think that they're kind of going to continue to play this, is that he was not the real Dread Pirate Roberts. Correct. As Carrie said, it, they said that it's Mark Carpelles who ran Mount Gox, which has a hilarious story that Adrian can maybe tell us a little bit about. The Mount Gox history? The Mount Gox history. Well, Mount Gox was like the most, probably the biggest Bitcoin-related company for a long time. It was the biggest Bitcoin exchange where you buy and sell Bitcoin for other currencies. And I think they had 17 currencies you could buy and sell Bitcoin for. It was based in Japan. It was right. based in Tokyo, yeah. This guy, Mark Carpellis, he's French, but he was living in Tokyo. Uh, the site was called Mount Gox because it was originally a trading exchange for Magic the Gathering cards. Um, and uh, <laughs> I love it. A fantastic really detail. Um, and so Mark Carpellis at, at one point took it over and started running Mt. Gox. Mt. Gox was kind of reputable for a while. Like, he and his right-hand man were, like, doing interviews and appearing with their actual real faces at a time when everybody who was operating in the Bitcoin world was just completely anonymous and, like, just a handle. So I remember thinking, like, oh, this, this is, like, getting kind of legit. As it turns out, Mt. Gox was not being run very well internally and is now bankrupt... And Mark Carpellis is facing court court proceedings for Basically, bankruptcy. Basically, they lost a lot of Bitcoin. Um, they they misplaced some people's yes. money. Which, hacked, which stolen. Hacked, the the yeah. Bitcoin lost, exchange. No one knows. The Bitcoin exchange that was built on the foundation of Magic: The Gathering cards did right. it last. So right. Yeah. <laughs> is this kind of an indictment of Bitcoin in general? That like. You, somebody, if you trust somebody like that, that like is the thinking that he took that money or that he just lost it? I think. The dominant narrative is that he's a bozo, and he just blew it, and he allowed the site to be insecure enough to get hacked, and then misplaced. I would. Monies. I mean, right. I I mean maybe it, was, he didn't. Keep, just... didn't keep like a reserve enough of a reserve. Right. Bitcoin enthusiasts will certainly tell you it's not an indictment of the currency, but obviously there are some things that kind of need to be hashed out. Um, no real like 
Mount Gox-like exchange has popped up of like similar. Well, there are some Bitcoin exchanges that are backed by. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Serious investors in Silicon Valley, which is like good for people who want to see Bitcoin survive in the long term. But I think also kind of sad that this cool decentralized kind of crypto punk technology and movement is being taken over by cor- corporate interests, basically. But that's not surprising. I but mean, not surprising yeah. at all. And yeah, that's just the circle of life. Do you think this trial <laughs> says anything circle. about Bitcoin as a, like Bitcoin's perception? We kind of were talking about it before the podcast. Uh, does it say anything about Tor and that sort of thing? How, how the government's going to pursue it? Uh, for me, I think that Bitcoin is kind of like, it's too mainstream now that, and I don't, like for a while, <coughs> Bitcoin and Silk Road went hand in hand, but I think there's a separation there now that Bitcoin doesn't really matter in this case too much. What do you mean, in what way? Uh, I mean, the outcome of this case won't affect Bitcoin, is what I'm okay. saying. Like Bitcoin in the early days when like, the matter, Bitcoin but, market, like, Bitcoin's value would fluctuate like wildly based on like any sort of rumor online. Right, and the crux of the defense's uh, argument right now is that Carpeles ran this because he wanted to drive up the price of Bitcoin because people needed like shit to buy with it. And now there's you can buy clothes at a store in Manhattan with Bitcoin. You know, you. Yeah, but, I think even for I mean I think Dell and both Dell and Microsoft online accept Bitcoin. I've seen it accepted in very strange places. Like I feel like I've seen it. I might be crazy, but like I've definitely been checking out. Oh, I was I was at a falafel place near my house, and Astoria takes Bitcoin. It says like, it's, I went up and I was like, Bitcoin, right? Shawarma-rama? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the hell? Right. So they, yeah, they take it. Do you know that? Age? I don't know if it's make Microsoft. But I know for sure Dell online accepts Bitcoin. They announced that a few months ago. Well, for a while there, there was sure. like. Uh, it was a story every two weeks. It was like a gimmick that basically everyone would do. Like first, like bikini wax that accepts Bitcoin. First, right. like it was a marketing gimmick, I think, yeah. more than a an endorsement of the currency. Right. But those stories but, have kind of gone away. Well, yeah, it was also because there was a company working in the background that was enabling merchants to take Bitcoin without having to have a technical understanding of it. Right. And I also so that think, was a big reason. Yeah, I, I, was, I was just going to say that what you said about what does this mean trial mean for Bitcoin and, and Tor, to me the big takeaway, and it's a cynical one and it's kind of a belief I've always had, is that like if you think that you can operate, operate like outside of the government's like all-seeing eye, you're just naive. Like Silk Road, like if you think that they're not watching you and eventually going to come for you, like... Right. I mean, just yeah, look, like they'll some... find a way in, you know, like how secure is Tor? How secure is any of it? Like right. we certainly we haven't talked about it yet, and we need to talk about how Ulbrich got caught because he was very, very sloppy. Right. Um, I I need to look up specifics, but 
basically he asked questions on forums right before Silk Road started using his Ross Ulbricht at gmail.com that were like, hey guys, thinking about starting like an economic experiment, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, those were tied to various accounts that the FBI right. found. Like, and the FBI is saying that he kept a journal that says stuff like, Silk Road will become a phenomenon. Yeah, this we, is an excerpt from Carrie's tweeting. Well, which, the funny which journal we're entries. learning about today, which is Wednesday. This will come out Friday. But yeah, the, the journal is pretty damning evidence. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. How can anybody not be sloppy, though, when they're just like starting out and it's just an idea and they're excited about it? Like They're going to be sloppy. And then when, they get, when it turns serious and it becomes a phenomenon, they're going to get seri- like serious and tighten up. But there's always going to be that trail. That's kind of the problem with things. It's like you would have to... You would have to have maintained like a, a pristine online presence, like up until you started like some kind of Silk Road. But I think the fact that this guy was so sloppy, to me, it leaves room for somebody who was really careful, who really knew what they were doing, to do this without getting caught. If they had, it a feels pr- like yeah. the tools are there. Yeah, I mean, Tor wasn't cracked in this case, as far as I know. And the NSA has kind of said that Tor still is a problem for them. Well, the NSA is always going to say that Tor is a problem for them. Why the fuck would they come out and be like, we got it, we, we got it, you know what I mean? Like, well, the NSA didn't say that. The Like, Edward Snowden's documents suggested, like, internal documents, which, yeah, maybe the NSA has cracked Tor. And there are certainly vulnerabilities in Tor if you control enough of the network, which is... A technical explanation that I don't completely understand, but that basically, if you control enough exit nodes and entrance nodes of Tor, you can kind of guess where the traffic is coming from and what people are looking at. But it's just the conspiracy person in me when yeah. dealing with intelligence agencies is always like, well, what's misinformation? What's real? You can't trust right. any of it, kind of thing. So, yeah. Do you guys have thoughts about the Andy Greenberg interview that came out, I think, I believe it's two months before Ross was arrested in the San Francisco library? Because in, I mean, in the interview, it would line up with the defense that the title of Dread Pirate Roberts was inherited and acquired by different people. Can you read a little bit of that interview? Can you pull it up? Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the court has said that that's inadmissible, correct? With relation to the cross-examining the uh, home Department of Homeland Security special, special agent. So it can't be brought up with regard to his cross-examination at this point, from what I understand. Um, but as far as in the future. Well, I think he was saying that the voice of Dread Pirate Roberts in that interview sounded like Mark Carpellis, which is... A little thin, I think, because Mark Carpellis is not a native English speaker, and it shows. And in that interview, Roberts comes across as a native English speaker. And that's also just like, I think you have to be sort of an expert to say that an interview sounds like a person. That's true. Outside from that, though, just the fact that in this interview before Ross was ar- arrested, whoever this dread Pirate Roberts that he's interviewing, whether it's Ross or not, says in the interview, I didn't start the site, I acquired this from, from someone else. I'm trying to pull up exactly what he said. Right. So the, the, uh, the prosecution filed a motion to have this 
evidence um, categorized as like hearsay. So right. the jury at this point has not read the article. Yeah, they they're not privy to this article existing before he arrested, saying outright that I didn't create the site. Actually, I inherited this from someone else. Yeah. Right. Well, there's certainly a lot of questions left. Um, this is this trial is expected to go on for a few weeks. Um, it certainly could be over tomorrow. I doubt it. But they um, have like 13 witnesses. I think they have 12 witnesses. Was there? They have a lot of witnesses to call. They're only on the second witness, and it's the second week. Was there a rumor that there was going to be like a mistrial when the defense came out with the "it wasn't us, it was him" thing? Uh, basically, the prosecution, as, as Carrie said, uh, was like, whoa, what the hell? Like, we weren't prepared for that. And then the judge was like, you weren't prepared for the defense to, like, try to raise reasonable doubt. Don't really, like, what else, what else did you expect them to do? Right. So, and, and the defense's argument was that the sec- the secret agent who was undercover agent, secret agent, is there a difference? Um, <laughs> had uh, mused that Carpelles may have been Dread Pirate Roberts several years ago. So they were kind of using, you know, the FBI's own words against it in this case. Right. And that was the part that was hearsay. I think it came down to the distinction being you couldn't ask uh, Joshua Dreytel, who is Russell Brick's lawyer, couldn't ask the DHS agent, is this what you believed at this time, but could ask him, did you investigate this at this time? So it had to be facts, not what did you believe at the, what did you believe a year ago? Right, right. Uh, there, there was concern though that um, some of the activists who, and obviously anytime there's like an internet trial, there's activists there who are, want everyone to be not in jail all the time. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, they were like raising, like passing out flyers to the jury, saying like, "Oh, you you don't have to. You can basically nullify the jury." jury. They were holding up signs saying like, "Don't put a guy away for life for having a website, which is um, illegal because the jury's not supposed to know uh, how long they could be putting someone away for." Basically, jury's not supposed to know anything, which is another highly interesting point the jury has no idea like how the internet works or how tour works or how silk road works um so much of the first day was spent basically explaining the internet to them and explaining the princess bride and explaining the plot of the princess bride yeah (laughs) yeah for for those of you don't know dread pirate roberts is a character on princess bride which I didn't know because I've not seen that you nor any other movie. Wow, that's pretty egregious. This is the <laughs> point Finally. in the podcast where we confess <laughs> to not ha- seeing movies that everyone else has seen. Uh, I have so many of those. Chris, do you have any confessions? Uh, just the same one I make every week. I still haven't watched 2001. I haven't right. seen that either. That's coming there up every go. podcast. It has to. <laughs> but she, Adrian hasn't either, so... Well, neither have I. None of us have seen yeah, 2001. Yeah, that's why we need to do school. Yeah. If, if, we, if we didn't... Oh, people are going to go so shithouse on us. <laughs> yeah, if we didn't frustrate listeners enough with I've never used Silk Road, we admitted to not using heroin, uh, also haven't seen Princess Bride, Jason. I have We're seen We're not qualified to talk about anything. I've seen Princess Bride a long time ago, though. Eric, maybe you should double-check this right now, but I'm pretty sure that there is already a movie in the works about Silk Road about this trial. 
There's this. It's a very, very good question. Well, then, uh, that seems Epic very likely. Well, our coworkers are creating a documentary about it. Are they? Vice News is making a Vice Silk UK. Road. Oh, really? Vice News or Vice or Vice UK or one of our many outlets. Well, yeah, they should be. Anyways, they should be. <laughs> there's, um, yeah, whoever, so there's this, um, like, journalism startup Epic, and one of the founders is, like, a, the guy who wrote the story for Wired that turned into Argo. Pretty sure about this. And they were, they started up basically with the idea of writing stories that could be optioned into movies, and I think one of them is writing the Silk Road story. It's, it's like the social network meets Scarface. You, know, you can see like the pitch and <laughs> the, the yeah. It's certainly got to be better. Fox has than... the rights to the Silk Road movie. How do you get okay. the rights to like this trial that's currently Well, I think ongoing. there's one writer who's writing about it, and he's he sold the rights to the story that he's writing. Ah, uh, okay. People are gonna be so pissed at how inaccurate it's gonna be I inevitably. Know. You know, like yeah. Dude, it's got to be better than Black Hat, which I just saw. <laughs> and I saw for the express reason of speaking to this former FBI agent about the Silk Road trial, but Black Hat is not a great movie about hacking. It's mostly explosions. Your spoiler made me, in your article, made me just lose all interest in seeing it. Because I was like, I like Michael Mann a lot, and I usually try to keep up with his movies. But uh, when I read that... Um, particular spoiler i was like i can't consciously go see this movie so right. it's absolutely ridiculous it was it was a bit out there um all right have we finished telling all of our interesting material that we have <laughs> does anyone else have anything of a note to say no uh, I, um, i'm just fact-checking this thing about the movie <laughs> So I don't Adrian's been silently fact-checking like things idiot. as we go along because we, uh, she's I guess responsible. We, Carrie had another uh, interesting note about the trial. We could we could end with uh, with uh, our conversation with Carrie if we want. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Just 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 to close the loop on that one, Joshua Davis, one of the co-founders of Epic Magazine, is ha- is writing an article about the Silk Road, and the script is going to be based on that article. There you go. There you go. It's coming coming soon. Listen to the podcast and then watch the movie. Also, check out uh, our latest uh, documentary on YouTube. It is about killer beavers, beaver <laughs> killers in Patagonia, Chile. Uh, it's excellent. Basically, there's an invasive species of beavers that are ruining Patagonia, which is one of the most beautiful places on Earth that I've ever seen. It's wonderful. Also, uh, beavers are so disgusting. Yeah, I've never like watched monsters. so much close-up beaver footage. They're the, like one of the most repulsive animals. I think they're kind of they're just like no, no they're like no, rats no, but bigger. No, they're but awful. Like, well, rats gross. aren't even that bad. It's just a they're stigma. so dirty. Dude, and rats their teeth are pretty are, like, bad. Uneven. Did you know that rats Scraggly. eat people's feet sometimes? Like eat them off. Someone was telling me this the other day. It is insane. <laughs> That's a great. I don't think it. it's true, but I need I need to check this, but. Someone was adamantly telling me the other day that rats often eat babies' toes off, like eat them and like leave. I mean, say rats eat anything. I think we should cut this part from the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, leave it. That's fine. On that note. Anyways, on that note, get your feet eaten. And if you have lost a toe to a rat, please email me. I'd love to talk about it. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Sign off. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.